Welcome to the Showcase Podcast, where we discuss real stories with young business owners and like-minded people. How did the um? How did the party go over for New Year's, New Year's Eve? Uh, honestly, just quietly phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, it was actually I seen, unreal. I seen a few of your stories there. And mm-hmm. you're how many saying, cunts the next day tried to message you after you said you were not going to reply to anyone? No one actually. Really? really? No one. I actually think I got the message across really well. That's good. Um, you set the stage nice. I think I set the stage really well. They knew the expectations. Like if they just were like, even if they thought they got. That she's gonna just go bolt. Yeah, not yeah, yeah. Do it. yeah like, my phone was off. Yeah. Like, you say promised. you do lots of flight modes these days. Oh though. yeah, <laughs> that, that, that phone is on flight mode most of the time. Hundred yeah. percent. Because as I as I always joke, I'm the most popular person in Rockhampton <laughs> on a Saturday between nine p.m. and about one a.m. Hey, bro, remember yeah, yeah. me? I have so many friends. <laughs> yeah. like, messages, calls, everything comes through. No, but New Year's Eve, man, was unreal. The event upstairs, Grace put it together like flawlessly. I reckon everyone who didn't get a ticket. It was a white party. Yeah, yeah. And everyone that uh, even didn't get a ticket to the event and were just coming out, everyone was in white. It was so cool. Like the whole club just had like so many people wearing white. White Everyone got the memo. White noses. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure there was. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, man, it was really good. I think we had um, like 400 to 500 people in there at like 9 p.m. Yeah, so wow. we we were like packed that's, from eight thirty. That's cheering, yeah. Yeah, we were really happy. And just with the it. fact that you said, like, compared to normal standards, there wasn't as many fights or barely any. Dude, it like was <laughs> it was a what did I call it? A statistically improbable. <laughs> yeah, not a single ambulance called. Not a single um yeah police response for anything. No one was fighting. Everyone was on their best behavior. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. You see the difference between a night where people are pre-drinking heavily and a night where they just come out to have their drinks mm. at the venue. Yeah, did Everyone's you promote arrived. that early arrival? Well, yeah, we yeah. basically did a tiered ticketing system where it was. A rort before 10 and a rort after, right? So yeah. it was $15 before, but yeah, then yeah. 20 after. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, 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 people were like, all right, we'll just get in early. And I think That's we good. also drummed up the fear factor a lot of, like, you don't want to be in the line. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be in the line. Just, like, putting that idea in people's heads. Because yeah. there was, like, yeah, I think 50 people celebrated 2023. In the line. Standing on East Street. <laughs> 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 Ringing it in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I'm like, oh, you wouldn't, you'd hate to be that person. Yeah. yeah, is it? Do you still find that with the um, like big lineups and stuff? Is that what? What is a go with that? Like from the outside looking in, like for ages there was just the one scanner. Is that tactical with oh, the amount of nah, people? You, nah. nah, there are some. There are some venues. Um, you just have the iPads now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We run the IDU um system now, which is way better. Mm. Um, but yeah, there are some venues who do run like an artificial line so that it does. Um, create the appearance that the place is busier. Yeah, okay. Um, that wasn't the case at all <laughs> yeah. when it was happening at the GOAT. It was because the, the Scantec unit, which we... That's the old school the one. The old school mm. one, yeah. So that, that computery looking box thing, yeah. um, which is just the most gammon piece of technology <laughs> ever. Um, yeah, we just... They had a... they had a old, It was like a legacy contract, basically, that we were kind of stuck with. And yeah, uh, it, but yeah it basically ran out. Spoke with this uh, IDU. The guy that runs that actually is just a young guy from Brisbane. Yeah, okay. He's like younger than I am. And he just developed it basically in response to how rough it is for venues to try and scan people in. Mm-hmm. And, and they, how long they, it's like it shouldn't take as long 100%. as it was. 100%. And those, those scan tech units, not to just like... 
run them down. Run them down. <laughs> but, like, you know, they, they have adapted. They are changing. But, unfortunately, I guess for them, in our case, it just took too long. Mm. Um, but, like, it, it gets to the point, because it runs off of, like, almost a photocopier. So you put the ID on top of, like, a, a glass scanning thing and yeah. it scans it. You do that like 10 times, you've scratched up the glass. Mm. So what happens then is every time it scans, it will say like your name's like Brenton Barnes. <laughs> so I have to then tap on I have to type it out. Yeah, so imagine yeah. like 100 people in line, you have to type out every single person's name and their birth date or whatever versus this young fella from Brisbane's like, you could just take a photo. Yeah, yeah. And then you take a photo of it and it scans it instantly, boom, you're in. So that's why the that's gotten a lot better. Yeah, um, sure. That whole line situation. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. No, that's cool. Well, we've been rolling anyway, so yeah. I reckon what, we'll just keep going. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're in. Yeah, we're yeah. in. Oh, we're in the, <laughs> we're in the oh, trenches, nice. bro. Yeah, great. Righto, unreal. So uh, this is our first potty back, <laughs> bro. How long? Oh, yeah, a year. <laughs> it's been a while. How about this year's resolution? We won't make any empty promises because I think our last <laughs> podcast was, all right, we're going to you know keep us accountable. If we don't upload within a month, like messages, no one messages because I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so it's actually everyone else's fault. We yeah. yeah. I love how effectively you've shifted blame yeah, yeah it's your audience's fault so they yeah. didn't want one i guess yeah, yeah. yeah. never took accountability so yeah, it's a fault. podcast that has one episode a year yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> make keep the people waiting i like it yeah so i guess we'll go with the theme this year of no empty promises and if there's not another one this year then who cares oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah but introducing our guest jordan baker moller jbm, JBM. To some of us to some other people that call you that they shouldn't call you that. <laughs> Keep that to yourself. Um, but yeah, just quickly, who are you, Jordan? Who are you to people who wouldn't know you? Yeah, sure. Well, I am one of the uh, owners of the Goat Hotel, Cafe and Bar and Restaurant and whatever else is on the end of that name. And Go Loco. And, and Go Loco. Speakeasy. And the Speakeasy and the Patio Bar. Yeah, that's nice. me. Um, yeah, I've been working in Rocky Hospitality for since I was 12 um, and always wanted to own a nightclub so i did and that's yeah and, I guess you that's, are. <laughs> and i am yeah so i guess that's uh yeah that's who i am i guess and, and you grew up in rocky yeah pretty much yeah we moved here when i was like a 11 or 10 or something like that can't remember from um the big smoke uh, ambrose you might have heard of it where's it i think it's like west of queensland <laughs> <laughs> you know mount larkham yeah 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 keep going yeah <laughs> oh, it's right next to it yeah 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 sort of yeah it's wayish yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. fair so. enough now it's interesting story we were talking a little bit earlier just that uh we didn't sort of meet each other until later in life uh, a couple of years back when we first started working hospitality alongside you and that you actually went to grammar yeah. Probably had a similar time we did. Obviously, you're a bit few years older than Brando and I, but we never knew. You went to grammar for a few years or something, and then oh, yeah. we would have brushed shoulders at some stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tree. <laughs> On the handball court. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, yeah which, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, then a couple of years later, what was it? Hed Hedricks, Hedricks Lane. Was, I think, our first. Was, it was the first uh, official meeting. interaction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No. But take us back a little bit before, mm. you know, we met there and like you, you transitioned into the hospitality industry yeah, from, what, from what? starting at 12 years old, yeah. I guess, and then into like where we met and then we guess. Yeah. Did you, the, did you fall, did you fall into hospitality or how did that? So unravel? the first, the first hospital job I ever had was at where the boathouse is now used to be a different building. Was that Saigon? No, before no, that even. Wow. Before that, <laughs> it, it, before that, it was uh, rock salt by the river. Yeah, uh, it was like a fish and chips sort of seafood kind of restaurant, uh, and I was working there as um, 
I, I didn't really have a job title, just the run around, yeah. basically. So I do a little bit of waiting stuff, stuff in the back of the kitchen, cleaning up or whatever. Uh, I was on $10 an hour and I thought <laughs> I had it made. <laughs> you had arrived. <laughs> oh, man. I was like, the, the sky is the limit. I'm a millionaire. Um, so, yeah, I did that on my school holidays or whatever. And that's, yeah, worked, worked there for, for a good while. And then actually just, yeah, I guess I realized I really enjoyed it. And so then cafes was, was my thing for a while. Um, worked at Antonio's Pizzeria for a bit there, Coffee Star Cafe place. Yep. Was um, that all throughout high school and whatnot or? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yep. Um, and kind of just was doing more of the food service stuff. And then after I was 18, um, I got a job at the Heritage Hotel. The mighty, mighty <laughs> The mecca of nightclubs. <laughs> the, right. the dirty heritage hotel. The, right. the, the you, glorious thing that it was. Do you know what's funny? I was still, and it was just a shame, Brando and I missed the, the mecca days yeah. of, of the Harrow yeah. in Rocky. Like, well, like a year, I think. Yeah, like yeah. like Harris, Harris and Cooper Jones, all those boys, like yep. only two years or so old than us. And like even mm. those boys, Grado, used to, when we used to work together, they said, oh, and the stories they'd tell. Like, 100%. It was like, yeah, yeah. and I was excited excited to like get to that age <laughs> bro to go like nightclubbing because it was yeah, like yeah. the best thing ever and like yeah that every friday every saturday just apparently that was like obviously like the askins and whatnot like their 100 their yeah. era there was like off tap and like we literally missed it by year and uh, did they like close down or something something then like you oh, know we, when we, we were 18 when we were 18 yeah <laughs> when we were 18 we'll wait for a bit later yeah, so, yeah yeah um like that place like wasn't even a, a venue yeah, to go yeah. out to so like we yeah. sort of missed the golden years mm, of it i suppose mm. but just this nice yeah. little touch so you yeah, started so you started there and it's yeah like peak. yeah so as a as a glassy is is where i started there um and i remember uh mr jamie walker was the guy who interviewed me and the job interview consisted of him saying see that cup i said yeah he said pick it up <laughs> i picked it up and he's like you got the job <laughs> oh, i thought that was unreal so yeah i started working as a glassy there and for whatever reason just loved it just absolutely just loved pizza. How old are you at this point? Like 18, 19 or yeah. whatever, yeah. So it was sort of a cool scene, like like the party scene, like sort of fast going, like mm. you know, for a job there you get to talk to people that mm. are off their head and whatnot and like it sorta is a fun job. Like yeah, when you're yeah, that yeah. age, like Oh hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um yeah, so just was doing that, like absolutely loving it. Um loved it so much that the management could see that, you know, oh wow, this guy's like he's killing it. Asked me to be the the head glassy then. I was like, oh, promotion, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Uh, so then, yeah, I was running the glassy team and um, a lot of my, um, a, a lot of management tools I use today with, with working with small teams and managing people, I learned in those formative years through trial and error. Sorry to the people I tested on, I guess, <laughs> uh, in that time. But yeah, learned a lot being the head glassy there and then they picked me to um, do a bit of work in the bar and then bar supervisor and then manager so was that um, something you wanted to gradually move to is head into the bar or just sort of naturally Yeah, 100%. Progressed? Well, I um, you mentioned before, we were talking before we were rolling. Sorry, I'm getting my podcast lingo right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I, I uh, had a, another business. This is post the Heritage, but I met a guy called Dion Moran um, and he used to work at, um, what's this down right here? Um, ginger Mule. Ginger, ginger Mule. Mule. The Ginger Mule. And he was actually a flair tender. 
So he he throws stuff around like, yeah. and that was the first. The first time I went out when I was 18, that was the first bar I went to. That was the first bartender I saw. So in my head, I'm like, well, that's Holy bartender. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's unreal. I want to do that. Yeah. And then obviously I found out later that that's not bartending. He was just <laughs> the like one the 5% person. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just the that. one guy who could do that. Um, but anyway, I got it in my head. One day I'm going to do that. Um, and so, yeah, obviously worked up into the bar and I, as I wanted to. And then I was the guy flipping stuff around real fast, like working real fast in the bar and... Yeah, just being really efficient, I guess, fast tracks you in hospitality to dizzying heights, just being able to show up to work on time and <laughs> being good at what you're doing is yeah. just such a rarity. So, yeah, ended up being one of the managers there. And, yeah, I learned a lot um, in that role at Heritage. That's where I met um, Steve, actually, and yep. um, James, the Uskins. Yep. Uh, we did not like each other at all when we first met, There was a bit actually. of beef there, hey? There was a bit <laughs> of beef there, yeah. And that was, um, you know, that was purely just an ego thing from probably both of us yeah. probably <laughs> but definitely like yeah that's where i learned like you've got to manage people differently depending on their skill set and what they do in the business or whatever you can't have the same rules for the same people or this sort of stuff uh it was a really interesting time um lucky for me it was someone else's business so i got to try all these different things and learn a lot while i was there mm. and then yeah as you say it just just collapsed basically it just all ended cyclone marsha came through um, that was part of the the beginning of the end, but truly, what did it was uh, the goat, the, the giddy goat being opened um, yeah. was really the beginning of the end. So for that them was there. actually the the falling of grace with the heritage. Was that another competing nightclub that had you know a pretty good offering with what they offered over here in terms of a different nightclub experience opened up and rocking these guys just couldn't compete is that what well it, was? it wasn't just that the giddy goat was a pretty good offering it was actually an excellent offering yeah, it was yeah. done really really well and yeah. what had happened with the heritage was that the owner and the culture that the business had developed because it had the corner on the market was a real arrogant mm. um attitude so there was an arrogance in the venue towards its patrons like oh yeah we don't need you we got all these people and and that arrogance also then stemmed through into its attitude towards the people that made the place. So, you know, at the end of the day, a big, for people who don't know this, but like Steve and James were a core part of why that business worked. And so the attitude of arrogance was, oh, we don't really need you to those guys. So they essentially left and went to the to the giddy goat yep. and took with them the entire city <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like took the whole nightlife with them yeah. mm. um, you know they obviously developed their pretty big you know group of people that partied with them and 100%. come out to see them and you know oh yeah as soon as they move i guess from residents from heritage mm. over to the goat like everyone's going well, we're going over there definitely yeah. definitely yeah. and do you think they took the like the nostalgia was probably attached to them in a sense and like, well, you're taking that nostalgia down the road, so I'm following it. Do you think there was well, a bit of that? Well, at that time, it wasn't like there wasn't nostalgia because it was happening at the time, if yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. But like that, they, of any DJs, almost to this day that I've seen, like they, they perform. Like when, when, when Steve and James are together, when the Ascos, yeah. you know, like <laughs> yeah. Askins are together, like they put on a show. Yeah. Um, and normally, like today, like your re most residents, they, they don't do a show. They DJ really well, which is great, but they don't put on a show, which is what, you know, James and Steve did really well. Yeah. So you used to go out to just see those two, just like what absolute <laughs> antics are they going to get up to? Yeah, it was yeah. exciting for people. And obviously they took that whole energy with them over to the goat and yep. yeah everyone just wanted to go there for that but yeah definitely that was a big part of what went wrong and yeah. how long after like and were you still working at heritage at that mm. time 
So how long after did you notice, like, you know, all that sort of started happening from them moving over mm. and whatnot, did, like, that place sort of, like... Or was it instantly... It was, like, opening weekend, to be honest. Opening weekend, there was a, there was a distinct difference in how the evening went because the, the goat opened in, like, a series of... Obviously, it was, like, the cafe first, then it was just, like... The corner bar. The corner bar. And yep. then I that think it was... That little nightclub out the back of the corner the, bar. The basement, I think, yeah. as it was referred to. I don't really know. Yeah, this and then... Oh, that was when we first started and then, back then. Yeah. And then, like, I don't know how long after, mm. then they obviously bought the upstairs and turned, put, mm. added those staircase mm. in and turned that into the nightclub, which... Yeah. And opened that whole patio up, which was, like, unreal for Which like, was amazing, you know? Yeah. And the biggest thing that the, the goat had over the heritage is that the owner was in there working. Mm. So it's at the goat... You'd go there, you'd see, uh, at the time it was uh, Mr. Schamberg. Yep, you'd see the Schamberg. Mm. You'd see that any time you went there, you'd see them. Mm. They're in there working. Heritage didn't have that. The owner was, you know, elsewhere, um, (laughs) distracted, you know. And so, you know. So he had no idea really from the outside, besides, I guess, looking at the books, the money coming in, that the place wasn't pumping as much as it should have been. Like on a night, on a weekend night, like if you're in there, there's, there's no cunt in there. And you're over at the goat and like the owners are work and they can see it's either pumping or not, you know. He didn't have that realistic grip. Yeah, on. and there's another element to that as well. And it's why I will do I still will do like Friday, Saturday shifts, right? Is your staff like are never gonna work harder than you and you also it's unrealistic to try and expect that they will. So if you as the owner of the, of a pub or a nightclub aren't there ever, but you expect all your staff to be, that will go about as good as you think it's, <laughs> and it won't right yeah. so it's like georgie and carl obviously were just in there all the time like you'd see them in there it sets the standard you know everyone everyone like if they ask someone to do something it's like yeah you see me doing it like mm. what what leg do you have to stand on to argue you know what i mean and, the, and there definitely was a standard with them as well like well, you worked for them right? yeah we yeah. worked for them and yeah. that was that was one of like our first real jobs essentially and mm. and, it, and it was a standard that they expected a certain level and if and if they didn't think you were meeting it, they'd let you know about it. So mm-hmm. you're always held accountable. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think like to what you said, like if no one's there, like no one's keeping me accountable, I'll just fuck the dog for my eight hour shift. Like go for 10 durry breaks, like, yeah. which I'm sure yeah. people will probably, <laughs> will probably doing out there. So yeah, mm. there's a level of accountability and 100%. just respect, I think as well. Like they're mm. in here doing the same as essentially mm. what you're doing as well. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as much as you want, you, you want to own a business and then have it run itself, like that's the dream. It's like have a passive income, like have, have ownership, let the staff run it. It just it's never not, It's not works. the reality. It, it's not the reality. It's never going to work. And especially in something like the hospitality. Um, yeah, definitely that would be, that's my experience. I've seen the further away the ownership is from the day-to-day operations, the closer your demise is. Yeah. Basically, it's like, a, I don't know what the, graph is but like <laughs> no. you could plot it out literally yeah um and i mean you know we've we've worked in other places where we've seen that you know the ownership group separate from the day-to-day and you and you see it's like because you get these um you know when i have an idea at the goat like today right i i see a problem and i go this is how we're going to fix it or i have a concept it's not just coming from airy fairy like weird land it's because i'm in there all the time and i can see where, how that will work. Mm. So I'm not expecting people to deliver like a um, a jazz night in the club. <laughs> like I'm not going to be like, guys, we're going to do a seated table ticketed event jazz night. <laughs> and it's like, okay, the space is kind of cool. You could probably do it, but it's like, who's your demographic? Like what are they yeah. after? What do they want? What can your staff actually deliver? So I'm not going to have some weird idea like that. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so and how long after, I guess, that you're at the Heritage mm. and all that happened, did you actually move into, you said you met Dion down at the Ginger Mule mm. and whatnot, like you guys started a small business throughout the years, like as a side gig when you're going through different jobs? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So so after the, the Heritage sort of fell out, um, fell apart sort of thing, he actually was working at the Edge when it was the real high-end sort of cocktail restaurant bar. Mm. Uh, and he basically said, oh, do you, do you want to come work down here for a bit? I also did, like, um, probably not relevant to this, but started in education as well, working in schools at the same time. But, yeah, went down there and met him down there and started doing a different kind of bartending, which is a little bit nicer, totally different clientele, not like, hey, bro, can I get a rum and coke? Like, <laughs> not that clientele, yeah. like sort of, you know, business Scotch on type. the rocks, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, scotch on the rocks. You know, that's where I started getting into cocktails, like, proper. And I was like, oh, this is actually, like, kind of cool. Like, yeah, I enjoy yeah. this. Yeah. And I met Dion there, and, and we just got to talking. And we were like, oh, imagine if, like, imagine if you could just get – um you know, get this stuff uh, at your house. Like, imagine if you had a birthday party and someone just showed up with a bar and, like, made you cocktails or yep. you had a wedding and you had cocktails at the wedding or whatever. We're like, yeah, that's an unreal, that's a mad idea. Like, someone should do that. And we were like, oh, ma imagine if we did that. And then I remember Dion just called me out one day. He's like, come, come, come meet me or whatever. He had this book and he's like, we've been talking about this for a while. Like, why don't we just see what it would take to do it? And we just started talking about how we would do it and it just kept snowballing and snowballing and snowballing till we got our first gig uh and yeah the response was phenomenal um the business model worked um it excited people basically and no one was doing it at the time that's the other thing there's a few like mobile bar things around now Definitely. but at the time when we were doing it 2012 i think not 2012 2017 sorry yeah um it was kind of new and, and different and people hadn't seen it before. So a lot of weddings we were getting booked for. Um, we also just immediately saw that in the wedding industry, as soon as you say to a vendor, this is for a wedding, they go, 70% <laughs> wedding tax. <laughs> they just slap it on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we noticed that. And so our, our selling point was if you tell us it's a wedding, we will give you the wedding discount. Yeah, okay. And so we marketed that you'd get a 30% discount if you booked us for your wedding. Um, because it's for your wedding and everyone was just you know it was a bit of a feel-good marketing thing like, oh these guys are unreal they're trying to help yeah. everyone out which was you know which we were because yeah. when we started talking we'd talk to the bride and groom obviously the bar is an integral part of a wedding we get to talking to them about what their overall spend was for the wedding yeah. unreal numbers like it's we'd just be like stupid, buy eh? three houses <laughs> instead <laughs> yeah. of like whatever this is yeah and throw it's, a yardy <laughs> dude oh it was absolutely phenomenal so yeah we just um yeah, we, we did a little discount and people really liked it. And, yeah, what we thought was just going to be a really chill side hustle ended up in the space of maybe two years, like, do we should we quit our day jobs? Because this could, you know, we were looking at maybe um, moving into Gladstone as well and having, yep. like, multiple things going. So we did a lot of cool events, you know. We did the opening of Jaguar Land Rover. Um, yep. we, like, we did the bar for that. Um, we did some obscene gig in Stockland. <laughs> Sorry, I love telling this story. It's <laughs> yeah. so fun. We got paid six grand for a one-hour job. Holy fuck. From Stocklands. Okay, it was it was amazing. So they called us up when they opened the new part or whatever. Yeah. Um, they wanted to do all these cool activations. Um, and so they were like, can you do like a mocktail like presentation? What's your rate? And I got on the phone to like one of my mates. He's like well-connected and rocky. I'm like, I'm getting this question from Stocklands like what kind of the budget have they got to work with and he's like 
just throw a number at him like you'd, you'd be amazed yeah and so we did we're like yeah that'll be six grand and i remember dion was like you can't ask for that that's he's like he's like, that's, he's like that's ridiculous like you can't do that it's so crazy i'm like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it i called him up i'm like yep yeah, it'll be six grand like not doesn't even pause pause for a, a breath he's like yeah that's fine no worries we'll book it in it's like how high could we have gone yeah. Like, yeah. holy that's crazy but yeah. yeah so yeah we did like a lot of like you know fun random gigs like that uh, as I said, a lot of weddings or whatever. And then, yeah, like um, Dion got a really good job offer for his day job down in the sunny coast. And we were just like, oh, like maybe, you know, we had our time in the sun. We'll just finish it up. Just naturally much. sort yeah, of. Yeah, just, yeah. And I sold off, sold off all the gear to um, another fella, Brandon, um, who started doing a similar thing. Yep. He said, oh, yeah, I want to maybe get into this. I'm like, yeah, sweet, you can buy all our gear from us. And, yeah, we just put a little bow on it and that was the end of it. But... I just want to backtrack a little mm. bit. Like, yeah. how did those conversations go? Because I know mm. a lot of people would be in the same situation where they have a main job and they're starting a business maybe as a side hustle. Yeah. They might just want it to stay a side hustle or they may, like, want to see where it goes. Like, those conversations with yourself and Dion, how did you weigh up to, to sort of go, do we, do we mm. go all in or do we just mm. keep making a side piece, maybe hire someone or how do those conversations mm. go? Yeah, well, we looked at it from a lot of different angles. So at the time, I was learning uh, sign language and was working that was as That's through your teaching. Yeah, yeah, so out of school. So I was working as an educational interpreter for Queensland Ed at the time. So working as a sign language interpreter with a deaf student in a class. And that was really where my sort of passion was mm. going at the time. And Dion at the time was really getting into doing sales stuff. And so we were kind of looking at it from the perspective of, you know, pros and cons or whatever. First issue was, um, I think Dion had a bunch of like specific payments or whatever in his day-to-day -day life. Where he's like, if we make this jump, it'll take probably six months to get us to like full-time income or whatever. So he couldn't essentially afford it at the time. And my biggest thing was it would take me away from really getting into the the interpreting sort of stuff but i think definitely that was the biggest thing like what's the time frame from what we're currently doing you know in terms of income and we're paying ourselves to you know quitting our jobs or whatever getting to what we're currently earning if not more just assessing what that time period yeah, would and, be and can we actually achieve that with mm. you know those payments or whatever yeah you yeah as yeah, well, yeah. So. so that was that was a real practical thing and at that point we were like oh probably probably not the move it it It'd be really difficult for like five or six months. Yeah. Um, and, and then, yeah, we were kind of like, you know, it'd be wild if we weren't weren't successful or whatever. And it's like, you, you don't even own a bar. Like, you're just <laughs> like, you're doing this in people's backyards. What did you think was going to happen? You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, part of our goal was to one day own a bar through that, using the capital that we earned from that to, to then purchase something. Yeah. Uh, but as I said, we, we've sort of geographically separated, so... Yeah, okay. No, that's it's just interesting. Like a lot of people, I guess, are in that same boat and, mm. and they, you know, don't know what, what move to make and then do they regret it later on mm. in life or whatnot. So um, I think honestly now, like if you are a um we were kind of talking before about like generational differences or whatever with young people and stuff. I'm sure we'll get into it more later. But at the moment, I think now is like the the time to strike. Like the iron is is that hot right now. <laughs> yeah. Because if you're like competent and you can like read um, <laughs> and have a and, heartbeat and have a heartbeat <laughs> you have a heartbeat and you got a bit of drive and and go getter about you you you're standing like head and shoulders above most of your cohorts at this at this point in time um, there's a lot of coulda woulda shoulda type people around at the moment um, and if you just commit to whatever it is that you want to do like 
you're probably going to be successful. It's yeah. like yeah. There's erring a lot more on the side. There's of a yes lot of opportunity, no. but back in like even probably only six, seven years ago, like landscape for anything that you wanted to was that competitive and like yeah, 100%. you're competing against a hundred other people mm-hmm. for example and like you know if someone has a little bit better experience or like went to this different school or mm. done this thing that's still out a little bit like it's it's mm. very hard to crack but now like yeah you know the labor market's so c- not competitive <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so true that like if and you like have yeah. a bit of any bit of ticker about your show a bit of go and like whatnot like people give you opportunity and opportunities will come to you definitely yeah, yeah. and i think this is like people will say like oh you're a big fish in a little pond mm. and like about my i say that about myself and i know that that's true and i'm like that's not it's not a insult when people someone says or thinks that about me i mm. it's use it to your advantage like mm. that's something about rockhampton where it's like a lot of the, um, a lot of really like competent people who want to like chase their dreams and go for the stars will move to Brisbane or whatever to do that, where the competition is seventeen thousand times harder because there's more people there. If you can attempt to whatever it is in your business or field you can do, if you can do it in Rockhampton, like it, it's genuinely easier in yeah. my opinion to do it here. I think we've actually spoken about this multiple multiple oh, times before, like yep. not not really on podcasts. I don't right. think, but like just. In general, like that, yep. a lot of people do go there, chase the it's like some sort of pipe mecca. dream where yeah, 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 yeah. It's like all cha- my problems like are fixed it's bigger, in Brisbane. it's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah chasing yeah. the lifestyle and like fair enough, some people do want to get out and, and try and experience. But like mm. I always say, and I do always say, like people always end up coming back here, and like when they come back here, I feel like people like if they gave something to go and down there and they got bummed out because it didn't work out how they wanted to, if they actually come back here and tried just as hard or whatever, you'd actually probably go. A, you would go a lot further. I think because so. Because, like, you know, once you get a bit of a reputation about what you're doing or whatever, establish yourself a bit in a small town like Rockhampton where there is, I think there's, like, plenty of money and whatever floating around, yeah. like, and a lot of people, like, have cash to spend, like, in whatever you want to do, there is a lot of opportunity that comes out of being in a small town because, like, people will give you a go and you're not competing with, Absolutely. like you said, 10,000 other people. Yeah. Yeah, trying to do the same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, like, using that to your advantage... We, we always say, like, we're privileged that like Rockhampton's big enough, yet small enough. If you were jobless tomorrow, you'd know at least 10 people that you can, hey, bro, do mm. you, uh, you know, that guy I used to work for or, or mm-hmm. your current boss, do they have any positions mm-hmm. available? Mm-hmm. And use your network of friends, whereas in a city, I don't think that's as credible. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And it's so true, like, like, um, like you were saying, like, you can become known for something better. So, fun thing, right? So, through that whole period where Dion and I had this business and we were doing cocktails or whatever, I, for a period, became known as the premier cocktail guy in Rocky. I was the cocktail guy. <laughs> I hate, I hated cocktails by that time. <laughs> Absolutely, like, wasn't into them anymore. Like, I was for a period, was really, really interested in it, then stopped, and then for a good period there, I was just, like, known as, yeah, Jordan's, like, the cocktail guy, you know, and, like, it, I'd get asked to do, you know, friends' events or whatever. Like, I don't like doing this at all, but in Rockhampton... Mm. I can brand myself as that to mm. my advantage. Yeah. In Brisbane, dude, I'm not going head-to-head with someone in Brisbane on cocktail mixology. There's probably some, like, bloody Eastern European genius who's, like, you know, yeah, been yeah, doing yeah. it for years. Here, I can. You know, you can just brand yourself however you want so effectively. Um, just keep pushing the message out and people will know you. Um, and then you can use it to your business advantage. Or and I think as well, just back to, like, the Askins being like a local talent of, of mm-hmm. Rocky CQ. Mm-hmm. I think if you use that example and put them in Brisbane, there's probably another couple Askins getting around down there. Mm. So that market essentially, you know, maybe they're not as big down there because like 
you know, you're competing against maybe 10 other versions of the Askins. I, I would hazard, I genuinely think, no, genuinely, <laughs> I'm not just blowing smoke at their ass. I think if those two had have really dialed in on what they were doing and took it to Brisbane or whatever. You they, think it, they, was that, it was that different at that I've, time? I mean, I've watched, I've met and done like sets with Stafford Brothers mm. or like, you know, big name DJs. And I've also watched what the Askins used to do every Saturday, Friday. Like the you, they could have been absolutely yeah if, if they okay. had so wished. I yeah, think. There you I go. think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I never really. Yeah, got shit example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never really got to see him much live. Like yeah, back yeah. With, Like when they come over to Giddy Goat when we were working there, it was mm. mainly James sort of phased out, done his like went off his own way to do some other smaller business things, and mm. it was mainly yeah, we just, only really caught the mainly, back end of it was mainly oh, just mm. Steve, a little bit of James, but he was sort of phasing out, and it was mainly just Steve, and it was. I don't think it was as hectic as it was over here at the Heritage. Yeah, yeah. Just, no, no. Well, it could I mean, that's the other thing too. Back then when this was pumping, the rules were different. Yeah. A lot more lax yeah. um, from the government, from the police, Well, even everybody. like it was only, yeah, f- uh, when upstairs opened at the GOAT, like when we were working there, it was only, oh, would it, it wouldn't, it would have been less than 12 months where like the normal lockout was 5am and it ended up getting being mm. cut back to three and that was like, you know, everyone used to, I remember used to start in shifts in summer at seven in the corner bar, sun going down and you're going home at 5am, the sun's coming up on what the patio. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, go yeah, to yeah. Cooper Jones. No, that's euphoric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, just, yeah, just don't make them what they used to anymore. No, eh? like, just no. no one would be cut out for that these days. Well, I, have a, I have a distinct memory back when those guys come over to the goat as well. Like they would be on the mic going, whoever wants vodka come to the front and they're free pouring vodka mm, yeah. into people's mouths. And do you think now how the culture of going out, nightclubbing essentially, do you reckon there's any um, you know, contrast to how strict the rules are now to why people aren't going out? Or do you think it's a shift in what younger people maybe aren't wanting to go out clubbing um, like mm. they used to? Because you would have experienced you know, E Street back in the day before we were even of age, maybe years before. I know we've had mm. conversations like outside of this, like there'd be thousands of people walking around the, the precinct mm. and you just don't see that anymore. Even in the cities and stuff like, you know, Brizzy City, it's still busy, but I'm sure back in the day it was like off its head yeah. on another level again. Yeah, I think you've got like a, um, a, a multitude of factors influencing that. I think the primary one is that the cost of things mm. has just even even outside of this phenomenal cost of living increase we've seen, just normal inflation, it was cheaper to go yeah. out back then. The other thing, um, and I'm obviously speaking specifically to Rockhampton, because it's just the, the field that I'm an expert in. <laughs> oh, Rockhampton nightlife. The cocktail guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, also, you had a lot of really young, cashed-up guys back then because it was the peak of Australia's mining boom. That's when Australia as, like, a country was just flush with cash. Every other country was, like, in debt. We cruised through, like, the financial crisis just, like, (laughs) balling out because of the mining boom. So we had all the young guys just, like, more money than they knew what to do with, just throwing it around. Um, And I think you had physically more people, like, around um, than we do today. Um, like population-wise? Yeah, population-wise. Yeah. I think because of all the jobs that were around at the yep, time. Yep. But then I think what you've touched on there, there is a culture thing. I've definitely noticed it um, between – what are you guys, technically millennials, or what are you? I don't even know what that is. No, like the difference, but we're 25. Like yeah. What's yeah, that? right. 97? I, yeah, okay. I think you are. I don't really know. But Gen <laughs> Z, like the 18 to like 24-year-olds, different breed, totally different breed. 
Um, and yeah, their, their, their going out behaviors are really different. A lot more drugs um, than there was back when I first started. Um, it's really interesting, like doing, you know, party drugs or whatever back even 10 years ago was kind of like people did it, sure, but you wouldn't like openly do it and brag about it and people would kind of like tease you kind of thing if you were like into it like too much if that if that makes sense yeah. whereas today so the culture around it was a lot different way different yeah yeah like if you if you were like oh you know the joke like let's get a bag or whatever if you were like talking like that 10 years ago like people that people would be like that's cringe like yeah are you a junkie like <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that's yeah. how people would talk yeah. whereas today it's almost i would say we're at a point now where clubbing going out is intrinsically linked with some form of drug use mm. Um, so you've got a lot more people today who, if they can't get drugs, don't want to go out because they've kind of linked it. Whereas before it was just to go out to drink. I think that's one element that's affected it. The music at the moment, there's like, I think we're in the middle of like the biggest culture change ever between DJs and patrons. Um, a lot of DJs are like, this is, uh, and they're objectively right because they're creative, a lot of them. They're like, this is what good club music is. And a lot of 18 to 24-year-olds, like, I've never heard that on TikTok. Yeah. That's shit. Like, change it. So you've got a bunch of patrons who are like, the music you play is garbage. And you've got a bunch of DJs saying to clubs, the patrons you've got are garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually really interesting seeing that dynamic. Um, and we're starting to see what I th what my prediction is, and I will be right. The <laughs> DJs who are going to kill it over the next year are the ones who can basically emulate a TikTok scroll thing where it's like 20 second build and drop and 30 second build and drop like mm. constantly grabbing attention one and a half minute songs into the next legit into the legit next. yeah just yeah. quick cuts big drops um all that sort of thing but a lot of a lot of clubs aren't haven't caught up to that yet mm. um and so i think that's another impact as well why people aren't going out but i think yeah. the main thing hey is just got to be the money like yeah. just kids don't have it anymore yeah that's interesting and i have noticed as well especially I don't know if it's like before COVID or around then as well, like <clears throat> a lot of younger people, whereas previously our generation, so 80, 90, 20, yeah, would pre-drink, go straight to the clubs where I feel like a lot of the younger guys as well are going to like, you know, bars, pubs, like Red Lion or mm. um, like it, when there's footy on like leagues club and they'll just stay there and drink all night. So I don't know. Mm. I, yeah, I don't know if that's relative to what it you is. were just saying, it is. but it definitely it's is. just a it's different a culture thing. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like it's just completely different now to to what their idea of fun or, or a good night is. Mm. It's just like that that shift in say a ten year window. It's like it's polar opposites now. It, it actually it really is. Yeah, and I think you, you touched on it there. COVID trained people a lot because obviously you couldn't go out for a good while, mm. um, or if you could, it was just the worst yeah. thing ever. <laughs> so I think a lot of people train themselves over, you know, there's 18 year olds. I was thinking about this. There's like 18 year olds who turned 18 when the restrictions came in <coughs> and are like 20 now and are only just now seeing what a club is normally. Yeah, like what it's so meant to be. Exactly. So mm. they basically went through two full years of just this weirdest time. So they kind of learnt, well, going out is actually – you don't do it. You buy a bunch of cartons and you do a house party and just stay there. Yeah. So I think a lot of a lot of kids were trained into that. And so I guess clubs have got a big um, job ahead of them, I think in general, to stay relevant and to stay interesting. Um, you know, how do you engage people? How do you, how do you appeal to a lot of people? Which I guess at the GOAT, that's why it's just event, 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 something different, something different, like constantly offering different things because people like, you know, they don't want just... The same thing every yeah, weekend. Yeah, yeah. And it used to be like you just open the doors and yeah. they'll come. 
Yeah. Whereas now it's like, you know, what what's the offer? What's yeah. is there something interesting happening? Yeah. Something different happening? Because people want to have mm. an experience. And do you think like a lot of venues will get complacent like the heritage did and just think that everyone's gonna keep doing what they've always done and then they're not innovating and then like, you know, it'll be be the beginning of the end like it was for them? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I def I definitely think that'll happen. Um and I think yeah, I mean, it's happening now, like, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not going to name, like, venue names or, or different places, but I get people apply to work over here because it's a multifaceted thing. It's, like, your venue is as good as your staff is. So, like, that's actually, like, the most important thing, really, is, like, do you have happy staff who've got high morale, who know what they're doing? Um, if you don't, you have a shit venue, mm. pretty much. It's that simple. So, if you've got a venue where your staff, you know, they're not, they don't have good morale, they're not happy, they're not well-trained... You, that affects your patrons. Like your patrons coming out are not going to feel like they're having a good time. If you can guarantee that <coughs> to your staff, then you will have a good venue. And I think that's a big thing that I see a lot of pubs and clubs and venues across the industry aren't catching up quick enough to, um, which is what I said before, that Gen Z culture shock isn't just happening with the patrons. It's the people we employ now. They don't want the things that my and your age sort of used to, where we were just like, yeah, you go to work, your manager probably will talk to you like your scum here and there. Um, you know, you just cop it sweet and you keep coming to work. Gen Z is like, you know, if you if I don't feel valued and I don't feel that this job is contributing to my well-being as an individual and building my personal story, I'm out. Mm. Which there's pros and there's cons to that mindset. Um, but I think a lot of venues are still trying to run their clubs the way it was in 2010. And, yeah, I think the re results will speak for themselves. Yeah, like, and we were saying just before we started rolling, like, our generation was it was a privilege to be able to work in a bar or nightclub. Like, hmm, you go yeah. back to school, like, bro, I was just working in a club. Like, no, like, that's yeah, sick, yeah, that's yeah, sick. Yeah. Now, like, it's a it's a task for, mm. it appears so, mm. it's a task for young people or they're like, oh, I don't, I'm only available not on weekends. Like, you work in a yeah, fucking yeah, nightclub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, shine some, shine some light on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, getting a resume from someone. It's like, hey, I'd like to get a job at the GOAT. I'm, I'm not available Fridays or um, Saturday nights. Like, well, <laughs> I don't have a job for you. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, I guess... Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a big it is a it is a big change. Like as you said, like it was super. It was kind of like a cool thing to be able to say oh, you acted sure. at a bar when you were young or whatever. Now it's just not like that. No one cares. Um, and I think I don't really know exactly what that is. It's probably like a broader global issue. I think we're in the with the age now where the average nineteen-year-old spends how many hours a day consuming content from literal billionaires. Um, whereas we kind of didn't have access to like what yeah. billionaires were doing from a day-to-day -day life. So we kind of like our threshold for cool was a little bit yeah. under like super yacht. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and I think a lot of Making the Making cocktails at the club yeah, was our like super yacht. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was cool. Whereas like I think a lot of the guys now it's like, you know, hey, like I kind of, because of social media, I live next door to every celebrity on earth your bar is not impressive to me. You know yeah. what I mean? So, which is, you know, kind of, kind of a shame because, you know, you, 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 you do want to have that. That was like a selling point to get staff. Used to be as a club or a bar, you'd just be like, I need staff. And then you'd sift through the 30 resumes you, you got. Yeah. Um, now it's, it's not like that. That's, that's true of the wider workforce in general in the whole country though. I don't think there's any um, job site or workplace where the management 
aren't saying it's hard to get stuff. Yeah, I mean, no. everyone's experiencing that at the moment. And yeah, and like back to when um, was it Jamie said interviewed you for your first job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does that picture look different now to when you're interviewing these younger guys? Given everything it's, you've just it's, said, it's like we've come full circle. To be honest, um, <laughs> okay. now, now as I joke before, it's like the interview happens with a stethoscope. I'm like, <laughs> you got a heartbeat. Unreal. Welcome to the tech. Like, that's all we needed, you know. Yeah. Um, in saying that, I don't want to be disparaging about the people that I've got working there because I've got an unreal team. Um, I think the main thing I've learned, the, the main change was, and this is why I'm saying it's a good thing, I think, that there's pros with the Gen Z's attitude, is it changes managers, good managers, which I believe I am. It changes my mindset from my staff are a disposable resource to my staff are a non-renewable resource mm. where if I get a good staff member in, it is incumbent on me to ensure that they stay. So instead of staff turnover and just, you know, getting getting who I want working, staff retention and keeping them happy is actually the primary focus. And mm. that, that, that um, you know, that trickles down to the ethos and the culture of the entire venue. So I've got two really good managers um, working with me, a young guy and a young girl, um, and they both started as just in the bar and through, you know, demonstrating of their capability and their work ethic, et cetera, have moved their way up into, you know, upper management of the venue. A big focus for me is keeping them happy and, and working with them. And, and like I was saying before, like what Gen Z wants from a job today is different from what millennials want from a job like a Gen Z person wants to see some sort of progression in their self as an individual. So it's like, okay, how do I then, if that's what I know these young ones want, how do I offer that to them at the GOAT, right? It's a nightclub, like how can I offer it? Okay, well, hey, do you know how to build a spreadsheet to cost out a bunch of products? That's a useful skill. I can teach you that. And then they go, oh, wow, thanks. Like that's really useful. Okay, can I, do you know how to do a stock take and ensure that we're hitting, you know, 30% um, uh, of, of uh, labour or, or stock? Um, in in our in our expenses, those kind of things that I offer the staff. So then that enables me to hold on to these guys for over well over a year now. Where normally, if I had my uh, uh, the what a lot of other venues are still doing, if I have my disposable resource cap on, I just wouldn't have bothered with that. I would go, oh, I'll just get another manager. Yeah, it takes um, too much time to exactly. To, that's yeah. too much effort. So uh, the other thing with that is it's like even on the on the bar staff level and the glassy level, like. It, it's it like how many owners of, of venues like just don't know the people that work for them? Mm. That's pretty common. Um, I think that's insane because the way I look at it, it's like, okay, well, this person's labour is what pays me. So it's, you know, it's pretty important that I know their name. I should know something about them. So building that into the culture, as I said, it filters down through the whole team. So everyone starts feeling valued and you get more of a, not a cringe corporate way, we're a family, but like in like, <laughs> yeah. a, in like a, I see these guys constantly out at the beach together as a yeah. group hanging out. And I go, yeah, that's how it was when I was um, doing hospo. You'd all get on the drink after work or you'd all go out and hang out. And I'm like, okay, we've rebuilt that in a new way now where it's built on values and and friendship, et cetera, et cetera, and all, all the good stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's working. So that's why we're, you know, we're, we're seeing success at the GOAT is because the team I've got has got a bit of longevity. There's yeah, retention. There's one there. thing I will say, like when we used to work there, like we honestly used to have like the maddest crew of, of chicks and blokes, like all working together. And even though we were just young fellas, like still in high school, year out and whatnot, like going to work was actually pretty fun. Like yeah. work with people that you like and can resonate with. And like, mm. even though you're there working and like, you know, have a bit of a laugh. At the like, end of the day, yeah. work's work. Yeah. But like, it actually made it enjoyable working mm. with people that, you know, they all one, wanted to one, be there. one wanted to work there, but two like liked working with the people they mm. would 
stand next to, I guess, in a sense, and like you know, made it fun coming there. It was a good culture, like hundred percent, and like, and that's what we're saying. Like a lot of people wanted to work there because, like you know, they knew it was like a good work culture mm. there. A lot of people got along, and like you know, we're all like. Half people we work with were our mates, essentially. Mm. Like, before working there and then after, you know, obviously a lot more friends and that. And we would go do, you know, get on the piss, do things like this after work and whatnot. Like, mm. it, was, it was a good time. And it was, and just further to that, it was like, it was a mutual respect. Like, they got 10 deep in the bar and they're going, bro, it's hectic as. Yeah, and you're yeah. running around, like, full of glasses yeah, in your yeah, hand. Yeah. And, like, you're all just having a good time because you're working hard, putting in the same effort. Yeah, 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 it's fun. It, it is good. Yeah, um... Well, what else we got on here, Tyler? Like, yeah, uh, I just well, I, I sort of wanted to backtrack a bit before we got into there. Like your first introduction, I guess, like yeah. sort of coming into your time at the Goat mm-hmm. and where you are now. Like your first introduction into like management roles and how mm-hmm. that's just how that sort of progressed into where you are now. Like sort of you know one of the part owner of the Giddy Goat and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so as I mentioned, like obviously, yeah, manage management. It's kind of like the, yeah, as I said, benefit of being in Rocky. Big fish, small pond, right? So once you've managed one bar, it's like that's on the resume. It's like I'm a manager. So everywhere I've gone from there, it's like I can say to someone, yeah, I can manage your business quite well. So I demonstrated that really well across the board and then went to the GOAT with the firm vow that I would not be a manager. <laughs> that is, that's how I was employed. I said, under no circumstances will I do any management here. Wait, you, you come in saying that? I said this. Yeah, I yeah. said this from the outset to the, um, the, the previous ownership group. I was like, I will work for you as a bartender. I will not be managing this place. <laughs> I accidentally own it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, so went in just like, no, nah, I'm just going to bartend in here. So it was just bartending, whatever, doing doing whatever. Um, and then uh, Patty, you remember Patty? Yeah. Or Shavo. Um, yeah, just, you know, got to talking with him and I was like, oh, look, you know, I would like to do a few more hours or whatever, like happy to do a, a little bit of this and that here and there. Um, so Patty's management oh, – Keep hitting that. My Italian way of talking, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, Paddy's way of managing is really different from mine. Um, so he's a real, uh, like, let it be sort of management style, um, which can work in a lot of pubs. Um, for me, though, I'm like, I don't like to do it that way. So we kind of had a lot of conversations and he just was like, just do just do what you think. And so then, yeah, I'm in there, like, autistically in the bars, just like, you have to hold the bottle like this. And, like, people are like, who are you? Like, <laughs> like, what is this? Like, what are we doing here? So it was a really funny change, I guess, from from where it was to, to me coming on being like, no, there's a right way to pour a drink. And then, obviously, you guys have worked there where it was like, oh, look, if the drink gets to the customer, it's all good, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was a big, big culture change. Um, but, you know, just cemented that. Um, and then it just snowballed, to be honest. So then from there, it was like a little bit more responsibility, a little bit more. Then obviously, Paddy moved away. He left, and there was a bit of a vacuum there for someone to be in charge. Um, and so I guess I pretty much got slotted into that role. Uh, and then we just sort of came to a to a crossroads, basically, um, where I got another job offer from a hospitality group, which was very healthy. It was a very, very healthy salary. Um, which I took to the the majority shareholder um, yep. and, yeah, just basically said to him, hey, like, this offer is currently on the table. Yep. Um, I know exactly what it's going to take to keep me here and I just had a conversation with him and said it would be this salary and I will need to have a share in this business as part of, as part of that deal. 
And so, yeah, we had a bit of a negotiation about that, about how it would work. And he, he was pretty open, like, transparent with you when you laid that on the table, like, you know, like, this, this other offer is, like, very attractive and, like, you know, it's going to take a fair, fair bit to keep me to stay. What was his sort of response initially to that? Yeah, so he was, he was like, really, really positive about it. So there's... um. Like, yeah, you can you could literally see, like, on, on, I guess, the overall business health, like, you could plot on a graph where I started. You could see it, like, the line go up. Yeah. Um, and so he'd already recognised that. He's like, okay, this guy's, like, a, a pretty good um, human resource here. Yeah. Uh, we want to keep him around, obviously. Um, but this is what I was saying before. I can't stress this enough to, like, any, I don't know, like, you, what demographic your listeners are but like if you're <laughs> whoever you are like if you do just be competent like this is the time where you can just say what you want and someone will do it um if you just throw shit at the wall and see if it sticks and it will uh, because people need like for businesses to run like they just it, it's it's so crazy like you just need one person who knows what they're doing and if you take that one person out the whole thing will fall down mm. so he recognized that very very I guess quickly, um, and yeah, he was really receptive to it. He, he it, and it's like a done thing. I guess he comes from a different, um, totally different industry. Yeah, uh, he comes from the pharmaceutical industry. That's where he, he gained a lot of his capital or whatever. Really, really savvy business guy. Um, and yeah, just saw saw it for what it was. He thought yeah, this is actually a pretty good deal. Worked for me. It worked for him. And so that was how that basically happened. Yeah. So you like, was there any, and like fast forward to today. So yeah. with, was that, was Gracie a part of that or did you guys, you know, leverage any part of, you know, your experience or yeah, you, like I said, your position in the business, was any of that sort of tied into where you are today or you just started off with your position then getting, uh, you know, a share in the company um, or was there, was there something else that was a factor in there to then, Cause she's in it with you, yeah. Oh right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in so far as like she's my wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, not, not yeah. as a. Um, was she working there at that point? Or? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. She actually worked there before I did. She oh, was okay. actually my boss before anything. <laughs> yeah, she was my manager. Yeah, gotcha, yeah, gotcha, yeah. Gotcha, so gotcha. she was she was there previously. Yeah. Um, and then basically we were just we were trying to the structure of the goat previously was really quite confusing. Um, because all of the obviously the owners all worked together, and it wasn't it it worked obviously for them really well, but mm. because I'm like on the spectrum, something <laughs> chronic, like I've got to have labels around things. So yeah. the way they did things kind of confused me because it's like, oh, it's, it, this is anybody's job. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, oh, like skitsing out. I'm like, no, it has to be noted down and it's got to be in this box. Um, so yeah, we restructured the business and we realized pretty quickly we didn't have anyone that looked after any marketing or social media at all. There was no one in the business who like responded to DMs or would post on Instagram or would or could um, book a function. Yep. So we're like, that's that's kind of important. Um, and so Grace had always been like, oh, I really, I've always wanted to do that kind of job. Um, and we're like, yeah, well, done. Um, and she's good at it. Um, so yeah, it worked out really, really well. But if does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, sort of cool. just wondering, like, did, did you guys go into that together? To, no, to, no. To, yeah, so it was no. initially just yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I was sort of asking, yeah, where along in the piece did she come in? Did she do something similar that you done and said, oh, you know, I want that opportunity? No, or no, 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 no. So, so that was all pretty much squared away just with, just with, um, with my stuff, yeah. yeah. So she's like an employee, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. that makes sense. But also like the wife of me. So okay. technically, <laughs> yeah. if I die, uh, that's Shit. hers. Yeah, you yeah. know what yeah. I mean? It's like, yeah, through marriage, I guess. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, if that makes sense. No, that's yeah. cool. And like, 
and along the whole journey um, that you've been on in this industry, is yeah. there anything that you would have done differently or, um, you know, along the way that you, if you look back now, yeah. you would have gone, oh, maybe I should have took a different route or, yeah. or, or you, you're happy with how everything's unfolded? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, I wouldn't be here without, like, all of that other stuff. I definitely look back and I know, like... Um, the, the heritage and the goat is like my two kind of, I think to be honest, the goat will be like my last thing in hospitality. Like once yeah. I finish here, that'll be, that'll be me done. I think. Um, Cause yeah, I've, I've tried all these different things like fine dining, restaurant, cafe, like you've done nice it all. Bar. Yeah. yeah. Like everything that there is sort of to do or whatever. But yeah, I think if I look back, like how I was at the heritage, I base what I do now off of the opposite of that. Yeah. In what not to do. Yeah, in a lot of ways, yeah, because a lot of what I was doing then was driven, like, I mean, it was pretty insane. It's like, basically, you're 19 years old, given, like, a $5 million business and just told, do whatever you want. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like, it's pretty crazy. Like, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it was actually really, really crazy. So, like, the whole the whole management team was just, like, kids who just basically got, like, Free the busiest, <laughs> most popular venue in town and just said, yeah, do whatever you want. You know, if you're not ready for that, you kind of become a bit of a dickhead, yeah. right? <laughs> so, like, that that, that kind of happened. And so, yeah, I look back on that and I go, oh, I can see, like, a lot of lessons from that, you know, the the owner being not aware of, of what we were doing, me putting, I guess, my own ego in front of what's best for the business, uh, which I did in, in a couple of different areas. So understanding now, you know, when someone does something that is shitty or annoys me as a person over here, I've got to remember it's like, okay, it's not about me, it's about the business. Is this good for the health of the business? If it isn't, then yeah. good luck to you. Yeah, yeah. But, but if it is, it's like I've just got to put my ego in the back seat. So, yeah, but I don't think I'd change any of that though because I wouldn't know – yeah, that not to do that if I didn't do yeah. that, if that makes sense. It's just crazy, like when, say, you know, looking back 10 years ago to where you are now, like you would have probably never in your wildest dream thought that you would be owning one of the biggest, have, have an ownership, one of the biggest clubs in Rocky. No, I knew I would. <laughs> you did? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, like, you, that was the plan, yeah, So absolutely. it was the plan. I know you said Always. at the start that yeah, like, yeah, you wanted yeah. to own, but did you ever think it would be this place or...? Um, no, no, I, well, I had this idea in my head that I really wanted to be the venue manager of the Met yeah. <laughs> specifically that was like that was what i wanted to do yeah. um but then as as um as i got older or whatever i was like oh like i really like rocky and obviously i was really conscious of the fact that it's like i probably can't go down to the met in brisbane and be like i'm jordan from rocky yeah. <laughs> let me run your vet and it's like you know, one of the coolest like yeah. uh you know venues down there probably wouldn't work so yeah up here i was like okay no i'll turn my attentions to something in rockhampton nightlife i'm going yeah. to do it yeah. Um, and so did. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's very impressive to like you know what you said you were gonna do and that, that it turned out to be one of the premier places and still is in Rocky um, mm. to go out and and dine and yeah. and whatnot. But yeah, I guess like now you've done and made all these achievements. Like, what's next for Jordan and Gracie? I guess yeah, sure. A, yeah, I guess um. Well, the, the main thing is like I'm really conscious that this industry is so fickle. Like, the pa every single patron that we've got that comes to the GOAT, I, like, value them. Like, literally, I, like, value them mm. so much. Because I know for a fact, should another place open in Rocky, um, everyone's going to want to go check it out. Yeah. 
So so you can't I can't treat these people like oh they'll keep coming or whatever because they won't. Like I've got to make this venue really really nice and so that's a big focus for Grayson at the moment. It's like do our patrons feel valued? Can we listen to them? And you're always going to have people telling you that you're the worst bloke in Australia <laughs> on the front door and you know threatening you with all sorts of things and people love to love to hate on the busy place in town. Sure. That, that's that's normal, but I think in a lot of people uh, can look at that place and be like it, it's pretty good, you know, it could be a lot worse. So maintaining that is a big thing for us. Um, and then after this little this little chapter of hospitality, yeah, uh, my 30s is going to be about uh, being a father and it's going to be about farming. I'm going to become a homesteader, we've decided. That's the next thing. I want to be a real, real practical type of guy. So yeah, we've got a little awesome. space um, in Tasmania all, yeah. all lined up, ready to go. Um, yeah, well, that you've already like put money down on or like yeah again another uh, an arrangement yeah, let's yeah, just say yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. like through people you're connected with you yeah 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 um, so like yeah. does the next five years you, you know obviously still establishing the goat to what it is now and then is that your exit plan is to sell and then move and yeah and yeah start i mean a family i mean or? i've i don't like to put like a, a specific time frame for could, sure could yeah. be six months yeah um, <laughs> it, could be, it could be tomorrow yeah. uh, it could be 10 years like i, yeah. I don't know but yeah that is essentially the plan yeah um is to just wrap things up there um as far as i'm concerned you know whatever whatever happens like i'm a real i'm not really money driven i'm yep. like um it's weird like just success for its own for what it is yeah yeah, yeah. for its own sake is yep. what i like to do so yep. for me just being like the goal was to own and operate a nightclub it's like like i've done that yep. you know what i mean yep. like i've already done it so yep. um yeah whatever happens happens like i'm easy yeah you know? Yeah, uh, that's exciting. And just before we go, like anything you want to ask us, boys, like just any random question or whatever on the pod in this open. Yeah, forum. You, yeah, absolutely. Are you going to do more of these? <laughs> <laughs> As we said at the start, no guarantees, brother. Uh, no, no guarantees. Uh, we do actually want to, you know, obviously interview more people around the area and um, get them on the podcast to share their story like yours, mm. which we're grateful for having you on today. But appreciate your time, Jordan. Appreciate uh, you was having a, me on. It was a pleasure and an interesting story, definitely for people to listen to um, and, you know, hear about going from literally nothing working from the bottom to the top to where you are now and running a successful nightclub in town. So yeah, congrats, someone's got to do congrats it. Congrats on that. <laughs> and yeah, obviously all the best for the future and whatever businesses you move into and for your family. So appreciate Thank you coming on. Thank you very on. much. Sweet. Thanks bro. Cheers boys.